She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Relaunch. An X-Files podcast, season three. Episode 13. Syzygy. In this episode, after several teen boys die mysteriously, Mulder and Scully arrive in a small town to investigate. The official ruling of the deaths is suicide, but rumors of a satanic cult fill the small town and people are demanding answers. Mulder consults with an astrologist who tells him that a unique planetary alignment may be wreaking havoc on the town. (gasps) Astrology Mm. and Satanists. Yeah, it's a lot. This episode originally aired on Friday, January 26, 1996. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Chris Carter and directed by Rob Bowman. In between War of the Coprophages and this episode, Fox aired repeats of Fearful Symmetry on January 12th and The Host on January 19th. So we open and it's dark and it's raining and we find out that there are some like teens having a memorial for one of their fellow students in the woods and we see a photo of a young man and like his i guess it's like his football like trading card photo i guess and he's wearing a uniform and there's a helmet next to the photo and then a lantern next to that and then a young man who will learn is named boom it's a nickname by the way he speaks to a gathered group who all are holding candles and he talks about how he knew bruno since kindergarten and he was like a brother and they had some good times. And he tells the group that they need to stick together because that's what Bruno would have wanted. And in the group, we see two young women who look kind of bored, honestly. Mm-hmm. And Boom continues and he's like, some say the cult is going to try and get more of us. And we can't let that happen. So we got to kick some butt like Bruno's doing in heaven right now. And then he starts to get weepy and he has to, he has to walk off. He's overcome with emotion. And the two girls who looked bored earlier, Terry and Margie, they go up to Boom and ask him if he's okay. He's like, yeah. And they tell him that his speech was beautiful. And they ask if he has heard who the cult was supposed to be coming after next. Because apparently they're supposed to be coming after a blonde virgin. Terry and Margie are both blonde, by the way. Just so you know. Mm-hmm. Boom then offers to give them a ride home. I guess it maybe as a way to, you know, because they're worried. And so he's been like, I'll give you a ride home so that. Right. The cult doesn't get you. There's a lot of stuff on here that we don't really know what's happening here. There's kind of cults and stuff and whoa so anyway in the pickup truck terry is talking to margie and she's like my mom is always saying wait until you're married don't give it away but then margie's like yeah but then you find out some cult member wants to kidnap you and sacrifice you just because you're a virgin and then margie turns to boom and is like you're not a virgin are you and he's kind of like um no and then terry says maybe if they weren't virgins they wouldn't be so scared and so boom is like oh Okay, and like boom, takes the truck off the side of the road, and then we see the moon is full and the stars are twinkling, despite the fact that it's raining. So a little weird there. Anyway, the next day we see a couple of sheriff's car pull off at the same place that Boom did, and we see his pickup truck is parked in front of a pile of rocks, and the driver's door is open, and the officers climb onto the pile of rocks, and one of them sees something is like over here, and they all rush over, and then we see his pair of hanging feet in front of the officer. And one of them is like, is he dead? And then the one who spotted him is like, yeah, looks like he hung himself. And then the camera 
and it kind of actually made me dizzy the way the camera does this because it like follows the rope that he's apparently hanging with and like goes up and then goes around the cliffside that it's tied to. I got a little dizzy. And then at the top of the cliff, we see that Terry and Margie are sitting on a blanket next to where the rope is, I guess, is staked. And they're picking petals off a flower, doing the little, he loves me, he loves me not kind of thing. And then making faces at each other. And then it's the theme song. Mm-hmm. So, kind of weird. Yeah, a little bit weird. Some weirdness going on. Also, they did when the when the sheriffs are like climbing the rocks, they do that thing they kind of did in Aubrey where they use like the handheld camera to follow them a little bit. And so it was all shaky and that kind of made me like, ugh, too. Yeah. So, and then they the did the rope thing. Gets, and the rope yeah. thing just, I was like, got dizzy. Seriously, because it was weird. I think it's a lot of digital effects too that maybe didn't, weren't as great that they were using. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but oh well. <laughs> I got dizzy. Well, this episode made me dizzy because there's just so much going on. It's very. Oh. Terry is played by Lisa Robin Kelly, who's probably best known for playing Eric Foreman's sister, Lori Foreman, on that 70s show. She also appeared in Charmed and Married with Children, among other shows. Yeah, I was looking some stuff up, and she's exactly 10 years and two days older than Laura Prepon, who played Donna on that 70s show. So that's kind of freaked me out the like 10 years difference uh-huh. she did die in 2013 after like a lot of substance abuse and trauma stuff like that so yeah that's really sad yeah, she actually i believe she actually died in a rehab facility oh so yeah so tragic and then margie is played by wendy benson landis who also appeared on charmed and she was on castle mad men murder she wrote and a bunch of other stuff. And she had a recurring role on Desperate Housewives as well. Interesting. They were both in Charmed. Yeah, I don't think it was the same episode, though. Okay, because Charmed is like the witchy show, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of not to talk too much ahead of time, but a little kind of going on here, too. Yeah. I have a question for you. In this first scene, it seems like they're doing something that then that doesn't seem like they're doing later. In this first scene, it looked almost like they were trying to make them off as like twins. Okay, they, yeah. They seemed very twinny, but then later they don't seem to have that appearance. And then we find out they're actually just friends. Yeah, they're but just the, best in friends. The, in, that, in the teaser, they really had like they just had this look where they're like, like, we got two people who look a lot alike. Yeah. And they're gonna be twins, but then later they don't really look a lot alike. So it was kind of strange. Yeah, it's a little weird. Kind of threw me off a little bit. Maybe it's okay. just because I was dizzy from that rope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then let's not forget boom is played by ryan reynolds which is so funny because i kind of recognized him and then i'm like no that can't be that ryan reynolds because he looks he's so young that is what's look. funny because i was watching i was like man one this is not his best acting no so i was like he's i was like young. oh man this guy cannot really he's not really emoting very well and he's not doing a great job and i was like he kind of looks like ryan reynolds but I mean, no, I don't think it's him. And then I just happen to be like watching. I don't because I don't always. Sometimes I'm just like, okay, I'm done. And but I happen to be watching the credits and like Ryan Reynolds name is right there as boom. And I was like, holy crap, that was Ryan Reynolds. So, yeah, I totally missed that. It's funny because I went through the IMDb, too, and I think I saw the name and it just didn't really click or I thought it was a different Ryan Reynolds. because I was like, no, that's not that's not Deadpool. It is. But it is, yeah. He's very young. They're all, I don't know. <laughs> They're all babies. They are. Little babies. Yeah. 
So a car is driving down a country road and there's a sign that says leaving comedy, the perfect harmony city population 38,825, which is very close to the population of my hometown when I lived there, by the way. So oh. I know what these kind of small towns are like. This is exactly where I grew I up, do. not in comedy, but population. When I was a kid, my small town had like 25,000 people in it. But then I think when I, either when I graduated or when I left, which would have been a few years after graduation, it had like 80,000 people. So yeah, I think we had like 36,000 or something for a while, but yeah, somewhere around there. So it's pretty close. Yeah. And Scully tells Mulder that the map says to turn right at the intersection. And Mulder says that the detective who contacted him told him to turn left. So they both argue and eventually Mulder turns right. And then a few minutes later, we see the car has turned around and is now going the other direction. So what? You mean left. Scully was wrong? Scully's never wrong. She just misread the map. <laughs> oh, how is that not being wrong? <laughs> Just kidding. Of course, she's she holding wrong. the map upside down like Shaggy does. And... Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. So then we're at Jada Boom's funeral, and there's a coffin with flowers on top of it and a photo of Boom. And the minister says several people asked if they could come up and share some personal remembrances. And we see that the chairs are mostly full, and there are a lot of students, and a lot of them are wearing Letterman jackets because obviously mm-hmm. Boom was on the team as well. And we see Scully and Mulder are at the back and Detective Angela White comes up to them and she tells them that the deceased friends called him Boom. He was a quarterback on the football team. He was well-liked and he was looking forward to college until he was found hanging in the woods two days ago. His is the third death of a teen boy in as many months. And Mulder says her fact sheet says there's suspicions of a satanic cult at work. And White says that's the popular opinion. And Scully's like, based on what evidence and white says well various eyewitness accounts of satanic rituals and then we hear the speaker up front is giving almost word for word the speech that boom gave in the forest for the first Mm -hmm. dead kid that we saw which i thought was just kind of interesting detail like he's literally saying the same thing yeah he's doing the kindergarten thing and then yeah yeah it's it's like the same exact speech so i thought that was interesting And Scully asks if they have any physical evidence of the rituals, but White says no, just the murder victims. Mulder tells White that if she detects a note of skepticism in Agent Scully, it's because of the overwhelming evidence compiled by the FBI debunking virtually all claims of ritual abuse by satanic cults. White asks if that's true. Scully tells her that FBI research has proven that most of these accounts are false or imagined, And often the trauma or mental illness linked to these cults is the result of denial, hysteria, and misplaced blame. White tells her she's going to have a hard time convincing the locals of that, especially after hearing the stories of the two girls who were there the night Boom died. Yeah, because Scully is very not into this. No, she is bordering on rude a little yeah. bit and i mean i love scully and i know why her behavior is this way in this episode but yeah it's it's pretty woof yeah <laughs> and then also like this happens all the time like they're clearly just carrying on this like totally audible conversation at the back of a funeral and like i get it it's tv <laughs> they need to be able to have it right but it's like dude come on like i'd be like like people would be like um, excuse me can you please shut up like we're having can you show some respect please i mean Eh, that kid's just repeating the same thing the other kids said at the other (laughs) memorial no one cares they've already heard it especially the people sitting at the back i'd be like i know i know like (laughs) i know i know so white gestures to terry and margie referring to the girls who were there when boom died and they're sitting in the crowd 
And Scully asks if they were interviewed together or separately. And White's like, together, why? And Scully's like, well, then you have no way of knowing whether their stories are fabricated. And White's like, no, no, no. These are good kids, outstanding students. And the details they gave, White doesn't think they could have made them up. And Scully's like, let me guess. They told you about a wild beast entering on a black mass of drinking blood, the sacrifice of an infant or a blonde virgin. And White's like, yes, that's right. And then she excuses herself. And Scully is incredulous and Mulder jokes, well, maybe she's a virgin. And Scully jokes, I doubt she's even blonde. Because White is also blonde. Yeah. So aside from probably some embarrassment with Scully, like basically telling her what, exactly what the girl said, there's also been like some commotion going on in the background. So that's another mm-hmm. reason why White excused herself. So she heads for a side door near the front. And this man, who we'll learn is Bob, he comes bursting in. And she tries to stop him, but he breaks away from her and he addresses the crowd. And Bob is like, how long are we going to stand by and watch our children die? And White's like, this is not the time. But he runs up to the pulpit and he's like, no time. My wife can't sleep at night. My kids say they can feel Satan's presence. And then in the audience, we see Terry and Margie like hold hands. And Bob says they need to cast the devil out of their community. And then Boom's coffin starts smoking. And mm-hmm. the glass on the photo frame on it breaks. And then the coffin just bursts into flames everyone panics and runs out of the room and Mulder and Scully stand there for a moment. And Mulder's like, maybe we're just imagining that. And he runs towards the front and then Scully just kind of stands there. And of course, everyone else has already ran out because the fire, but we see Terry and Margie are still just sitting in their chairs, like just looking forward. Mm-hmm. Very weird. Very weird. Yeah. And detective Angela White is played by Dana Wheeler Nicholson. She's had a long career. She's still acting today. She's been on shows like Seinfeld, Law and Order. She's actually been on several iterations of Law and Order, NYPD Blue, and Boston Legal. She's had recurring roles on Friday Night Lights and Nashville. So she's had a pretty good career. Very, um, I don't know about Seinfeld, but I'm assuming the Law and Order and the NYPD Blue and the Boston Legal. Maybe not always, but I'm assuming maybe she also was playing law enforcement officers. I think sometimes, yeah. And then the Friday Night Lights and the Nashville kind of goes into like the small town business too mm-hmm. with like yeah. friday night lights and football so interesting, interesting yeah correlation there <laughs> so then we're at carroll county sheriff station and scully is in an interrogation room with terry roberts who says her name into the microphone that's hooked up to a recorder and she's a senior and she has a 3.98 gpa and then Mulder is in another room with margie who's doing the same thing she's also a senior but she only has a 3.75 gpa to get on it honestly anyway i mean i graduated with 3.77 because i fucked around a lot anyway we learn that they're both on the cheerleading squad and plan to go to college together in the fall they are bffs mm-hmm. so then the scene switch between terry and margie seamlessly because they're telling the exact same story like word for word so they basically like are picking up in each other's sentences as we go mm-hmm. back and forth so the story we get is that Boom was giving them a ride home in his truck when he swerved off the road like he'd been possessed. And then he made them get out of the truck and walk to a clearing where people were wearing black robes and were holding black candles. And they couldn't see their faces under the hoods, but they were standing around an altar and one of them had a long knife with a snake's head on the handle. And they thought they were dead because they had heard that they were going to sacrifice a blonde virgin. But then 
the people brought out this little baby and said they were going to sacrifice it and bury it in a mass grave with all the other babies they've killed. And then the two of them ran for their lives. Oh, spooky story. That's the story. <laughs> They're sticking to it. Yep. So in the bullpen, White stops the tape of one of the interviews and she says their stories are virtually identical and thus they corroborate each other, which they're not virtual. They're like word for word identical. It's very, but yeah. Well, and also and that doesn't necessarily mean they cooperated. It can mean they just made it up their story before they said it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. so Scully says she doesn't suppose there have been reports about any stolen or missing infants or that they found a mass grave or an altar. And White says no. And Scully says the problem is that these accounts could have been taken from any newspaper or magazine. As horrific as they sound, the story the girls told is so common it's cliche. And Mulder tells White that if she detects a hint of impatience in Scully's voice, it's because the FBI study also found in most cases, such as the McMartin preschool trial, witnesses were often prompted in their statements by rumors of stories that were being circulated, even though there was nothing to support them. White asks how they explain the burning coffin at the funeral. And Mulder's like, don't ask me. Yeah. So speaking of which, cut to the coffin, which is charred and covered in a plastic evidence sheet and a medical sweep. Scully goes over and takes the plastic off and she opens the coffin. And inside, Boom's body shows some burns and some of his clothes have actually been burned away. And we can kind of like see his chest and stuff. And Scully says there have been incidents where the embalming fluid used may have caused chemical reactions that led to heat and then burning. And Mulder and White are looking over her shoulder. And Scully says she sees nothing here that would suggest otherwise. And then White points to a black spot on Boom's chest and asks what that is. And Mulder sees it too. And he says, it looks like a goat or a horned beast. And Scully thinks they're seeing something that isn't there. And White points it out and Scully dismisses it. And then White leaves. And then Mulder angrily asks Scully to get photos of the thing that in no way looks like a horned beast. And he leaves. And she irritably like snaps on her gloves and is like, sure, fine, whatever. <laughs> She's so. so cranky this episode. I mean, we'll learn why. There is like a reason for the weird behavior, but it's just so like, she's just so cranky and angry. I mean, I know what it is. It's, it's PMS, right? She's got PMS. That's why women can't hold positions of power because they have PMS and mess up the world. But, I'm going to tell know. you a secret. Women have emotions that are not related to their menstrual cycle. <sighs> Happens all the time. I don't know. <laughs> and to me, as a man, like, I think I know more about women's bodies than you do. So, and <laughs> I mean, that's what the government thinks. <laughs> Texas, right now. <laughs> I am being jokey, everyone. So, just no, so yeah, you know. Nick isn't being serious. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, like, as someone who has been cranky as crap at people before, like, you know, I, I mean, you know, it just it happens sometimes, and then you feel really bad about it. I don't know if Skelly feels bad about it. I certainly would. It doesn't yeah, seem that way at any point in this episode. No, even when things are technically resolved. No, they're still to... mm, they're still having a thing. So yeah, this is yeah. We'll talk about this at the end. Yeah. Also, it, the, the I, I could I I totally can see the goat because it's like yeah, I can like It's like there's a circle and then there's a goat head in the circle, right? But it also kind of looks like an upside down anarchy symbol. So maybe it's Antifa. Like doing all this stuff. Who knows? Again, I'm being jokey. Right. Yes, obviously. Yeah. And if it was, they probably had a reason to kill this kid. He was probably a Nazi. So <laughs> anyway. Sorry, Ryan Reynolds, but I don't I wonder if that was Ryan Reynolds' actual body or if that if that was just like some like probably not. I'm sure it was probably like a stand-in or something. So. Yeah, or they yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 
Mulder is on a porch and he's got a kitty. Yay, kitty. When we first see the cat, its face is like, because we're talking about a goat, right? And its face is all kind of pulled back. Like Mulder's like really scratching its head. And so like, it's all kind of pulled back and it looks kind of evilly, but it's a kitty. It's a cute kitty. cannot be evil. And then Detective White opens her door and I'm like, what are you doing with my cat? And he's like, well, it was scratching to get in. And with the threat of satanic animal sacrifice, that maybe White should keep the cat inside. You know, don't want it to get kidnapped. And then so White takes the cat. She puts him down inside. And then she's like, oh, I figured the FBI would have debunked that too. Which fair. And so Mulder kind of apologizes for Scully. He's like, yeah, she can be rigid, but usually like in a wonderful way, not like she was today. So like, I apologize. And he's like, however, I try to keep a more open mind. And so she's like, okay, so what are you doing in my house? And he tells her that he was hoping that she would help him solve the mystery of the horny beast. And I kind of had to roll my eyes at that because I was like, God, <laughs> I did too. On. I did too. Come oh, God. On. Yes. Um, and I... <laughs> I do have a conspiracy theory about this episode. And uh-huh. it is, I think it's confirmed, but we'll talk about more about that at the end of the episode. So, yeah. Yeah. So then we cut to an image of a goat surrounded by red. And we realize it's a neon sign as the camera zooms out to reveal that it's part of a larger sign that reads Zarinka, astrology readings, numerology, runes, astrology. And inside, Mulder and White are showing the photo of the horned beast thing to Zarinka. And she's looking at it and saying, let me get this right. You say you see horns? And he says, yeah, do you see a goat here? Some kind of beast? And he kind of like points it out on the picture. And Zarinka thinks this is some kind of trick to entrap her. And White tells her no one is trying to entrap her, but Zarinka doesn't buy it. There are loonies running around who think she's a Satanist. But the truth is, she's just a number cruncher who's trying to make a living. And Mulder asks what she thinks is going on. And Zarinka says that she thinks the whole town has lost its marbles. She says she should have seen it coming, but being a small business owner is hard. You should see all the paperwork. Mulder asks what she means about seeing it coming. And she tells them that we're heading into a rare planetary alignment where Mercury, Mars, and Uranus are extreme influences. And Mulder asks on what? And she hands him her card and she tells him that her office hours are nine to five. All major credit cards are accepted. So I freaking love her. I think she's so great. And the best thing is like, she's this astrologer, but she's just wearing like a business pantsuit like she's not wearing like any kind of funky like i'm a fortune teller whatever and she's just all business like she's worried about doing no her head business wrap taxes. And big hoop earrings or anything so. no it's just like she's she's the kind of business owner that files her bno taxes like a week early like she's on top of things i like her a lot i do think they're having her intentionally say uranus oh probably because they seem to be hitting that and they'll do it later too yeah and Zarinka is played by Donaldo Williams, who looked super familiar to me, maybe just from this episode. She's been in episodes of MacGyver, The Commish, Malcolm in the Middle, and of course, Supernatural. Maybe she also, that's where she's familiar from. She might, I don't know what season of Supernatural she was in, but possibly. She also really reminded me of Donna Pesco, who played the mom in one of my favorite shows as a kid, which was also about an alien called Out of This World. Yeah, I can see that. They kind of have a similar body type. Mm-hmm. They kind of have a similar facial structure. They do. The yeah. hairdo in this episode is kind of like that. That, that red. 
yeah that, that kind of mom cut. hair yeah. and then even like her mannerisms and some of her delivery as well kind of i'm kind of almost wondering if like they really wanted to get donna pascal and then they couldn't get her and so they went with like someone who kind of like i don't know donna and if you're pascal a little bit older energy. than tori you probably would know donna pascal from saturday night fever or from the tv series angie where she played the main character for two seasons mm -hmm. and if you're a little younger than tori then you most definitely know her from even stevens because she that was many seasons and they actually did a movie too so yeah and if you watched out of this world hit me up that show was like my life as a kid i really wanted to find out i was secretly half alien and could freeze time i think that's the coolest superpower it's so cool so yeah really loved that i mean is being half something really a superpower well, she could freeze time, though. That was the superpower. Oh. She could put her fingers together oh, and freeze time. Uh-huh. And then she could, like, move stuff around or do stuff and then oh, Okay, I time. think I'm getting, I think, uh, okay, Alien, I think I was getting out of this world and Small Wonder mixed up. Oh, yeah, no, Small Wonder's the robot girl whose name was Vicky and looked surprisingly yeah. like me and had the same okay. name, so that was really creepy. Yeah, okay, but I do remember the whole, like, freezing time thing, so I probably Yeah, that was that Evie, too. could freeze time, okay. was the daughter's name. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I probably saw some of that as well. So I need to talk about that side though, because you know me and the details, right? So because we're talking about goat, and so we focus on the one that is a goat, and uh, the sign, like the basically got the twelve astrological signs around the sign. Mm -hmm. And so strangely, when I was looking things up, because some of the images kind of confused me, and so I was looking them up and comparing them to different ones. I was trying to tag them all off. I did some screenshots. It was like like labeling them so I knew which ones were which. That one actually, I think, is actually Aries, which is actually the Ram, but they aren't they aren't in any order. Like you know, usually they, there's an order to them when you see them, right? Because right? but these are not in any particular order. Leo is completely missing, and then there's one that looks like someone with like teddy bear ears. It actually kind of looks like Arthur, like the Aardvark from like the chapter books in the cartoon, and like just sitting at a table, like talking. It's got like its elbow on the table and hand is out, like they're doing like some coffee talk or something. I'm not sure. And I kind of thought that maybe I couldn't remember, so I had to look that up too. I kind of thought that maybe Arthur was supposed to be like a lion cub, and so maybe that's where they were they were making like a little joke of like he's the lion, but Arthur is an Aardvark. So I don't know where Leo is at all, and I don't know what the deal is with the person like sitting there just like talking at the table. There's probably an in joke in there somewhere. But then also while doing this research. In this image, and then in several old-timey renditions, I learned that Cancer is depicted as a lobster or similar creature, not always as a crab. You always oh, think of it as a crab, but in this one, and then in a lot of old-timey ones, like the little, like, like woodcut-style ones, it actually is like a lobster or like a crawfish, you know, something with claws. As a Cancer, I found it very interesting because I'm a Cancer. Also, it's kind of weird because if it's all about the claws, like whether it be a lobster or crabs, it's weird because Scorpio also has claws because it's a scorpion, right? Mm -hmm. And my brother is a Scorpio. Mm. My brother is a Cancer and the other one was a Libra. Okay. And I'm a Gemini. And then I know Capricorn is actually the goat or the sea goat, depending on the depictions. But based, like I said earlier, based on the image chosen compared to the historical images that this is probably based on, the one they focus on, I'm pretty sure is actually supposed to be Aries, not Capricorn. Hmm. So. Yeah, it's an interesting sign weird yeah there's actually three like the taurus one also looks like a goat and then there's another one that looks like a goat which i think is capricorn but based on some of the historical images like okay that's actually based on this image and so i could see what they were doing and so though i think the one they focus on is actually the aries not the capricorn mm -hmm. anyway. sign corner sign corner sign mm, i can't think of a piece of architectural that would be alliterative so 
yeah and the whole numerology nook didn't really work out either numerology corner worked better honestly so i don't know yeah sign corner anyway in the high school gym we see a basketball roll over the image of a goat the team's mascot so we haven't mentioned it but everyone has a goat head on the back of their jacket basically mm-hmm. so i actually did not put that together until i read tori's notes because i'm a dullard sometimes despite my attention to detail anyway the ball goes out of bounds and a player runs over to grab it and he moves past this water drink table where we see terry and margie are sitting and terry is like craig wilmore and margie's like hate him and then on the court a fight breaks out and margie's like can it be true that these people will soon be adults bringing new life into this world and they shake their heads like oh I can't believe it. and then a player runs up the table to grab a cup of water and terry is like hi scott and then he kind of looks at her and drinks the stuff and kind of like leaves. He's like, mm-hmm. like I don't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. So not yeah. interested. I mean, this scene was, mm, well, we're, we're, there's more to go here, but I thought this was weird because when they're doing their interviews, they make a big deal about how they're on the cheer squad. And we see the cheer squad actually sitting down and like doing little, even though they're sitting, they're doing like little cheers while they're practicing, but they are not with the cheer squad. They are sitting at the drink table. Yeah. I don't know if they're else. maybe the, well, I kind of get the feeling that they're sort of the outcasts. So they're like on the yeah. cheer squad, but they get assigned to the drink table because they're okay. Yeah, because yeah, the definition I got. Yeah, well, yeah, that'll be emphasized later too. They are definitely mm-hmm. yeah, not part of the in crowd. So anyway, so then their little basically ranking guys on the team continues, and Terry's like Scott Simmons, babelicious. And then Marty's like, minus the Brenda appendage. Because then we see Scott go up to one of the cheerleaders and they're like, hater, wouldn't want to date her. And then we suddenly see Brenda fall on her butt. And Terry and Margie kind of exchange a look. So that's weird. And then they're playing and the ball kind of goes off to the side again. And one of the players runs to go get it, slams right into the drink table, spills all the cups of water and gatoring stuff all over Margie and Terry. They jump up and they're like, oh, hate him wouldn't want to date him and then the guy's like sorry he runs back over and then either a second ball or someone else got the ball a ball comes flying and hits the dude in the head the one who ran into the table Mm -hmm. and then goes out of bounds so as tori put in her notes like they may not be super great at basketball (laughs) they don't they don't seem to be i mean i used to play basketball i was pretty good at it even though i'm super short but like they just don't seem like they're very good at it because they can't seem to keep a hold of the ball maybe it's magic i don't know (laughs) Yeah, they are not super good at basketball. And so he runs off to get the ball and has gone behind the bleachers. They got those kind of pull-out bleachers in the gym. And so it's gone behind there. So he goes back there. And while he's back there trying to get the ball, all the power goes out. It's like super dark. And then like some little emergency light comes on and everyone's looking around. And then we hear this like noise. And they apparently have super fancy bleachers that like automatically like come out and go in. You don't have to like pull them out and push them in yourself because they start compacting against the wall. And like all the people sitting on like managed to jump off and like, ah, but the dude is still back there. And he's like, oh, help, help. I can't get out. Help. And so the team runs over and they're like trying to pull on the bleachers to like stop the bleachers from closing, but they can't. And those bleachers are fast too. They're like, and so you kind of guess what happened. Yeah, he gets crushed. Especially because it's commercial. I know what happens mm-hmm. on commercials. Yeah. I remember the scene kind of like making me not want to go behind bleachers as kids. So. Yeah. I have <laughs> never, ever in my life seen ones that are automatic, though. 
That's I'm trying to remember. Fancy. I feel like my high school had those with a button, but I might be misremembering because my memories of high school are it very It also fuzzy. seems like a maintenance nightmare to do that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because if usually, because like if something goes wrong, usually, uh, well, I guess they could have maybe like a fail safe where it like releases the gears, but like if it locks up, like you ain't moving that. So, yeah, like, yeah I don't know. So we come back from commercial and the screen tells us that it's January 12th, 5, 10 a.m. White and Mulder are at the bleachers and they're looking through the slats. And Scully arrives and asks what happened. Mulder tells her that a power surge caused the bleachers to retract and a young man got caught inside of them. And an officer asks White if he can see her, so she leaves. And Scully scans the crowd and she sees that Margie and Terry are giving statements to reporters. And Scully then is like, to Mulder, she's like, hey, you weren't in your motel room. And he tells her that he went to follow up on a lead with Detective White. And she's just like, oh, I see. And he's kind of like, oh, like he kind of like does that little like question mark thing. Like you kind of see his brain just kind of like go, huh? <laughs> and Scully's like, look, we've been working together for what, two years now? We have differing opinions, but I didn't expect you to ditch me. And Mulder's like, I didn't ditch you. And she's just like, fine, whatever. And White comes up and tells them that they have more trouble. A mob has gathered outside of town. (gasps) (laughs) I know why Scully's acting this way, but it's super dialed up to 11. Like, it's kind of jarring because, like, she can be, like, Scully, I love Scully to death. I really do. And she can be a little judgmental and she can be a little harsh sometimes. And I I love that about her. I love Scully and all her faults. But (laughs) she's just so, like you ditched me and then like fine whatever and it's just so like and i know she's supposed to be immature and it's just it's a little jarring didn't expect that (laughs) i also kind of suspect just character wise maybe some jealousy is kind of creeping in a little to like help supplement the weirdness that's going on but i don't know that's just my own personal theory i mean personally i think detective white is more attractive than scully but scully She's not my, t- I don't know. I am a super redhead fan. I am ooh, I'm like talking about like Donna from that 70s show. Oh my God. I, oh man. Ooh, she's really cool. hot and orange is the new black, but she's not a redhead. But enough. her hair's not red in that. And yeah, I no. kind of don't, I, I don't, I don't feel oh, it. Oh, see. And I like the dark hair and the glasses. I think she's hotter. In that and I think naturally movie. she's a blonde, like Jillian Anderson. Yeah. She actually wasn't really a redhead, but man, mm-hmm. something about, ooh, oh God, man. <laughs> but like Jillian Anderson and the X-Files, I kind of like have like zero interest, like ever, like just like, nope. Not, yeah, not my, they don't not do my it thing. for you. Totally not my jam. No, it, Detective White though. Isn't it the White's pretty? I mean, she's fine. <laughs> I don't have anything against her. <laughs> I mean, she's a little bit older than Jillian Anderson, probably. I mean, I'm guessing. I don't know. She she looks like she's would be older. So yeah, yeah. I do. Have, they're doing basketball practices like four or five in the morning. I mean, it would depend on the school. Like. I used to go to school super early, but that's because I did the the news show that we would do. Like when school started at 7.15 or whatever, we would put on a little news show for the whole school for like 15 minutes. So we had to be there early to get that set up. So sometimes I would go to school at like 5.30. I mean, they're there at 5.10. Yeah, that's And everyone pretty... else is there like doing like all the interviews. So like it's been a while. Yeah, I would. I don't think yeah. they had just started practice. Yeah, so that would have had them start at four in the morning. That does seem a little weird. I think I think that might be. A, I don't know that. Like in my head, I was thinking like maybe it was supposed to be five ten p.m., but then 
the entire rest of the episode happens on the same day. And so I guess it would need to be morning, but 510 just seems extreme. Also, yeah. I'm kind of wondering because like, so Mulder has apparently been with Detective White all night. Like they were last uh-huh. time we saw them at the astrologer place. Yep. Like. That's why Scully's like, you weren't in your motel room and she's a little bit, yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't know, but 510 just seems, I'm kind of like, I don't know about that. That just seems odd, but I don't know. Yeah. I One, I was not into sports, so I'd be like, especially if you have have to do practice at 510, (laughs) I'm definitely going to be in sports. Forget that, but I mean, you can do that stuff after school or maybe as part of the class, right? Especially like in a small town school, they'd be like, oh yeah, PE is going to be the basketball team all doing basketball practice, right? Oh, yeah. My school, it was after class, so you had to go afterward. Yeah, I had to go back and check because I was like, wait a minute. And I thought maybe you had mistyped 510 a.m. And I'm like, nope, that's what the screen says. So, yeah, that just seems like, what? Anyway, that caught my attention. Yeah, so before we started talking about Scully being weird and my penchant for redheads and doing basketball practice at four in the morning, (laughs) the last thing we mentioned was that a mob has gathered outside of town. Oh, no. So. On the other side of town, we see Bob, Crazy Bob, um, which was the name of Donna's dad in that 70s show, by the way. Manny's loving dad, Bob. Anyway, there he's with a whole group of people who are digging in a field. They also have a backhoe. So they're yeah. like digging with shovels, and they also have a backhoe. So they're serious. They're organized. Yeah. Yeah, although not that organized, because everyone is just, like, digging, like, separate holes. They're, like, spread out everywhere, and just, like, digging holes, digging holes, digging holes. Anyway. One of them tells Bob that they have company. And so White and Scully and Mulder and a bunch of police and sheriff people arrive. And White is like, Bob, what are you doing? And he's like, I got a call from George Huntacker's boy that someone said they knew where the location of the mass grave was. And so obviously they're digging it up to find it. And she's like, you're destroying private property and you need to stop digging. And he's like, our children are dying. And then White tells him like, still, you can't just tear up Harvey's land. And Bob is like, well, maybe Harvey has something to hide. He's like, we have two kids prepared to say he took them camping and made them play naked movie star games. And then he goes back to the group. And one Bob is kind of strange. And also prepared is a weird choice of words there, Bob, for something that would be a crime and that you haven't actually brought charges on. Right. Well, they're just, they've got kids ready to accuse, which is great. We've got them, we've got them prepared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that word choice was intentional or not, but I that I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So Mulder also notices this and is like, is Bob always so hysterical? And White says, no, he's the high school principal. And she says she's never heard him say a bad word about anyone. And Scully says this is called rumor panic. It's when an event links up with a popular satanic cult myth and it increases tension in a community. A villain or villains in a town are singled out as the focus of the community's confusion and angst about unexplained events, such as the deaths of the high school boys that have been happening. She says there have been at least 20 incidents since 1983 from upstate New York to Reno, Nevada, and not one has turned up a shred of evidence to support the allegations. So suddenly a woman at the edge of the grass screams that she found bones and everyone runs over to the woman and Mulder bites his lip. And Scully tells everyone to stay back and the officers try to keep the crowd at bay. And there's a bag that's kind of like a large purse or a doctor's bag and it's in the ground and the woman's like, the bones are in that bag. So Scully puts on gloves and lifts the bag. And Bob sees the bones from behind her and he shouts, they're a child's bones. 
And the bag has a monogram on it, which is RWG. And Bob's like, oh, that's Dick Godfrey, the doctor. He's the baby killer. And so the crowd is, you know, now whipped up and starts to move. And Mulder asks White who Dr. Godfrey is. And she's like, he's the town pediatrician. And Scully sighs because, you know, that's where this is going. She knows where yeah. it's going. As mentioned earlier, Bob is totally unhinged. I mean, you might want to like, maybe consider posting for a new high school principal. Also, he's the high school principal. We never see him at the high school. He's always just running around with like crowds with like <laughs> basically pitchforks and torches and talking about Satan. He's never at the high school. All the stuff that's happened in the high school, he's never at work. What is he doing? So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, and also oh. like I think he's unhinged partly because of what's going on, but yeah. 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 And then in the scene, we can clearly see something about the bones when they open the bag and look at them, but it comes up a little bit later, so we'll skip it for now. Mm-hmm. And then also Mulder and Scully have a little snappy exchange before oh, yeah. Scully takes up the bag. Like she's like, go ahead and do it. And he's like, no, you do it. And she's like, no, you. And he's like, no, I know you like to snap on the latex. <laughs> and so she grabs it. And then of course, when you know, when she finally does, she actually, you know, snap the latex. Yeah. So very angrily. So. Yeah. <laughs> They're not playing nice this episode. <laughs> no, they aren't. No, they aren't. Also, I like the fact that Mulder, when uh, the woman screams about the bones, Mulder bites his lip because, like, that is right after Scully is like, there's never any evidence to support these allegations. And then this woman's like, there's bones. And he's like, mm. <laughs> I know. He's, he's smart enough not to. <laughs> it's good. It's good. So then there's a crowd that is gathered at Dr. Godfrey's and they march up onto his porch and Bob is like banging on his door. And then we see someone coming down his stairs and like heels and like a little fluffy robe. And it's actually Godfrey. He's got a white feather robe on. And he's got like some heels and he's got like some smeared lipstick on his face. And he looks rather panicked and he peers through the curtains on the window and he sees the crowd. And so he like, no, he like heads back into the house. He's not, doesn't want anybody to, you know. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, what Godfrey does on his own time is his own freaking business. And if you live in a yep. small town, you definitely don't want people getting in your shit no one especially needs to if you're the local pediatrician because right, what's yes. gonna happen you deal with kids you know whether he's just like wears women clothes or is got some gender issues going on like what's the first thing they're gonna say oh he's a molester right so, because people are yeah. gross and stupid and bigots yeah. especially in small towns bigotry is especially now with all these satanic yeah rumors going around it's not a good time yeah but bob apparently sees him through the blinds at one point and it's right. like he's in there and then all the, everyone else is like, come out, baby killer. So that's got to be great outside your house. Yeah, it's going to be a good day for him. Yeah. So then we're in an interrogation room and Godfrey is wearing a white button up shirt because obviously he's changed. And White is saying, so you say you sold the bag at a garage sale and haven't seen it in a year. And he confirms that he sold it to a young girl from the Roberts family. They live a few doors down. And White's like, well, why is it filled with bones and buried in a field? And Godfrey's like, I have no idea. And White asks if he'd be willing to take a lie detector test. And he looks kind of hesitant. And Scully bursts in and she's like, you're free to go. Godfrey's story apparently checked out. He looks very relieved to hear this. And the bones turned out to be the bones of a beloved family dog. And at this moment, Terry Roberts comes in and she sees Scully holding the dog collar. And she's just like, Mr. Tippy and grabs the collar. And Mulder's like, this is not the time, but someone is wearing my favorite perfume. 
And then Scully asks if she can have a word with Mulder out in the hall. And, you know, just don't take the lie detector, kids. It's junk science. Actually, just don't talk to the cops at all. Ask for a lawyer and keep your mouth shut. Dun dun. So out in the hall, Scully tells Mulder that this has gone on long enough. She's not going to be humiliated by him in front of him or by having to bring a teen girl in on her birthday to identify the bones of her dead dog. And Mulder sniffs the air while Scully's talking And Scully says she sees no reason to pursue the case any further, and she finds his conduct on this investigation not only alarming, but highly objectionable. And then Mulder, like, sniffs Scully's hair, and he says it must be White who's wearing the perfume. And Scully says if that's the reason he's sticking around, that's his business. And Mulder's kind of surprised by that, and he's like, what are you talking about? And she says, Detective White. And Mulder tells her that they're here because of unexplained deaths, And White is just trying to solve them. She could use their help. And Scully says, well, the two of you have a certain simpatico. I'm heading back to Washington in the morning. And she leaves and she's very pissed. And Mulder leans against the wall because he's just defeated at this point. Yeah. So one, when we opened the bag, we saw that it was like there was like an animal jawbone in the bag. Yeah, it was very clearly not human bones. Yeah. And then obviously, or maybe not. The joke is, is that Godfrey is wearing the perfume that Mulder smells. Because when Mulder says that, Godfrey is behind him and his eyes like perk up when Mulder asks who's wearing the perfume. Because Godfrey's all like, oh, he realizes that Mulder's talking about him. So, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, actually, I thought that was pretty good. So, yeah, I like Godfrey. I think he's interesting. Yep. Sucks that he's living in this horrible town. <laughs> so then we see the full moon again and all the stars. Like, there's a ton of stars. Then we pan down and we go into clouds and we see that it's raining and we're on a suburban street. And then inside one of the houses, it's the Roberts house. And there is a party going on. Balloons Mm -hmm. and loud music. And some of the balloons say, happy birthday, Terry and Margie. And there's a table covered in presents. It got a big, large sheet cake. And Terry and Margie are dancing. Honestly, they're dancing kind of maniacally and asynchronously to the music. Like they're not mm-hmm. keeping a beat and they're just kind of like like whirling dervishes, basically. And there's another group of girls at a table nearby and they're just kind of like looking at them like, what the hell is going on? They look kind <laughs> of disturbed. Yeah, they don't look like they're excited to be there at all. Like no. their parents made them come or something. They're just like, okay. Yeah, and Terry and Margie are the only ones who are dancing as well. Yes. Yes. And they're just, like I said, they're they're into it they're dancing to all over you by live mm-hmm. by the way that's the music of playing which i'm thinking may have been chose because of the lyrics in the song one of them is all over you all over me the sun the fields the sky i have often tried to hold the sea the sun the fields the tide mm, maybe some moon stuff going on or something i don't know mm. also one of the forgotten and underrated songs of the 1990s honestly yeah, I like that song. It was on the radio a lot in the 90s, and I yeah. definitely came out it. in 1994. I always think that it should be on the singles soundtrack, but singles came out in 1992. And so obviously it could not have been on the singles soundtrack. Also, they're a Pennsylvania band, and singles definitely like Seattle, like inbred mm-hmm. Seattle, basically. It's like crazy, everyone on that album. So, but yeah, but I always, for some reason, I always associate it with a single soundtrack, even though it's not on it. So, hmm. and then there's also a bag at when we, when we see the house. And before we go in and see them dancing crazy, there is a bag, which we assume is the bag that has Mr. Tippy's remains in it. Cause it's got the little mm-hmm. RWG on it. And it's next to the curb out in the rain by the garbage can. 
Although that bag looks pretty new. And the one that had Mr. Tippy's remains in it looked pretty beat up and old. So I don't Yeah. Know. I do think it is supposed to signal how like callous Terry really is, though, because she like cries and pretends to be sad, but then like yeah. the bag's just on it the curb with the trash. Might be something else. We'll get to that later. Yeah. And back to the Capricorn thing. Anyone born on January 12th would be a Capricorn. And so yes. obviously Terry and Margie were born on January 12th because it's January 12th and today is their birthday. Mm-hmm. So not only are they best friends, they were born the same day. Crazy. Yeah, it's very crazy. Yeah. It's a strange alignment of forces, you might Ooh. say. <laughs> yeah. So elsewhere, or maybe later, all over me is still playing. So I'm not sure if they're just like looping it like I was earlier, like listening to it like for an hour straight because I got it stuck in my head and was like, oh, I love that song. But anyway there is a pretty large group of girls that are sitting around a Ouija board. None of them are the girls that were at the table. So like no one's like in both places. So it could be happening like at the same time. I don't know. But at the Ouija board is Brenda and she's got the planchette and she asked the Ouija board who she's going to marry. And it kind of goes to S because we know that she is Scott's girlfriend, right? So mm-hmm. she's going to marry Scott. But then the planchette kind of like jerks, like almost like Brenda's not actually controlling it. Um, not that that's not how Ouija boards work. You don't control it. It's actually the spirits. But anyway, it jerks to A, and then it kind of goes over to T, and then it goes back to A, and then it goes back to N. And you know what that spells? Satan. Santa. Oh, Satan. Oh, Satan. Yeah. Yeah, backwards. yeah. Satan. Sorry. That's right. And everyone's like, <gasps> and then someone is like, oh, oh Brenda. Like in the background, <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> like she's actually it. sad about it. She's like, oh, man, poor you oh, and Brenda, Scott. Oh, Brenda, I'm marry Satan. That's messed up. <laughs> anyway brenda is kind of upset and like gets up and walks away and she goes over to the bathroom and in the bathroom terry and margie are there and they're holding hands looking in the mirror and they're all like one bloody mary two bloody mary and brenda's like what are you guys doing and terry and margie look super witchy right now their hair is all like super teased up and they've got like the heavy black eye makeup and uh Mm. terry is like kind of like rocking like a bustier and like an open jacket and all that kind of stuff they're definitely like we're 17 now. Yay. Which they just turned 17. Well, we'll find out they just turned 17 when we do the math, but they're seniors. That's really early. I mean, I was a super young senior because I turned 18 after I graduated and like they're yeah. seniors and they're turning 17. That seems kind of weird anyway. Yeah. But yeah, so they look super like witchy, witchy. And think your hair is all teased and all that kind of stuff. Black eye makeup, dark clothes. And I think Terry's wearing like a, a little, a little lace choker. And they're like, you close your eyes and count to 13 and Bloody Mary will appear in the mirror. And then Terry's like, come on, Brenda, join us. And she's like, uh, no. And she turns to leave. But as she turns to leave, bathroom door, like, boom, slam shut. And she's like trying to open it. And then Terry and Margie just turn back around and start counting back in the mirror. Three Bloody Mary, four Bloody Mary. And then outside the bathroom like in the where people are like in the party room like where the stereo is playing we hear this like Aah! and they're mm-hmm. like and one of them turns the stereo off and we think it's probably brenda who's screaming i don't know yeah Maybe we'll find out so then it's 8 25 p.m and we're at the comedy motel no vacancy according to the sign so Mulder's sitting in a motel room and he's putting frozen orange juice concentrate into this small cheap bottle of vodka, which I just, it's very resourceful. I just think it's very funny. So I would have thought it would have been easier to pour the vodka into the 
container of juice concentrate. Yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, they're not very big, so maybe he's no, just but he definitely. Tiny. I mean, I have this in my notes later, but he likes to pour heavy because he puts like two teaspoons of like concentrate into like a half bottle of vodka and like drinks it. So, yeah, so he basically closes the lid on the bottle, shakes it up to make kind of like a screwdriver, and then he drinks and he turns on the television and he starts changing the channels, but all the channels are showing the same thing, which is the Keystone Cops. And then we see Scully's in her motel room smoking cigarettes, which is smoking very cigarettes. out of character also. Cause like Mulder doesn't really drink. Scully doesn't really smoke. So it's just kind of, obviously everyone's acting weird. And she's also flipping through the channels. And again, Keystone cops is on every channel. So she turns off the TV and she just like bitterly mutters to herself something about like, white just needs her help. It's just like super cranky. And so I don't know. I thought it was really funny. And apparently the script actually called for the movie on every channel to be a clockwork orange, but they couldn't get the rights because it was too expensive. So they settled for Keystone Cops. Yeah. And then there's a knock on Mulder's door. And he looks out and then he opens it and we see that it's white. And she asks if she can come in and she hands him a box. And she's visibly upset and has been crying. And Mulder asks what happened and she gestures to the box. She says she found it on her doorsteps. And inside the box, there are some dead roses and her cat's collar. And she says, if they're not Satanists, who are they? And Mulder puts the box down and he walks up to her and he kind of embraces her in a hug because obviously she's very upset. And he sniffs her neck because he's still trying to get a read on that perfume. And then she asks Sniffing what he's... the wrong neck, man. Yeah, I know. Go to Godfrey's God. house. Seriously. And she asks what he's doing. And then she realizes that he's been drinking. And he's like, yeah, I have. Which is funny because normally I don't drink. And she heads for the door and then she stops and she sees the, the vodka with the orange juice on top of the TV and she grabs it and she takes a large swig. And she says she doesn't really feel like going home. And she asks if she can sleep there. And then without even waiting for a response, she just like takes off her shoes and her jacket. And Mulder's like, well, I'm sure we can get you another room. And he picks up the phone to call the desk, but the phone is dead. And then she kind of pushes him on the bed and she gets on top of him and she's straddling him. And she's like, maybe we can solve the mystery of the horny beasts. <laughs> I knew that was going to come back. <laughs> And Mulder says, oh, maybe we should just watch television. And then he's like, you know, the same movies on every channel. And she's like, that's weird. I like weird. I feel weird. And then she starts kissing Mulder. And of course, at this moment, Scully bursts in. And she just kind of looks at them for a moment. and She does not look happy. And then she's just like, there's been another death. And she leaves. And that's commercial. And that's yep. like, we get like the. I don't know if this is music that was actually used in the Keystone Cops, but it's that kind of like like Looney Tunes, kind of like, you know, classical music kind of thing going on in the background. And the music cue as we go to commercial is like perfect where the music's all dun, 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 dun. and then they're just like, <laughs> oh, looking at Scully because Scully just left. And then you go to Yeah. Like, I actually, I have a oh, trading man. card of White and Mulder on the bed and them like looking at the door. It's just like so that. Right. So that's right when that music. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. That, that's a. That was really good. I was very impressed with that musical cue there. That was nice. So so outside, so we come back from commercial, and outside Scully is getting ready to get in the car. And the motor comes out, and he's putting his jacket on, and it's like shirt's still kind of unbuttoned, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, if there's been a murder, and she tells him that a high school girl was impaled by flying glass from a mirror. I guess we know what happened to Brenda. Yep. And he tells her that he'll drive, but she's like, no. And then they fight about it a little bit. And she's like, why do you always drive? Because you're the big macho man. 
and white has actually come out by this time too and she's like you know putting her clothes on as well and so she gets to hear their exchange and he's like no i was just never sure your little feet could reach the pedals <laughs> and she's like Ugh. and then Mulder's like white you go with her i'm gonna take your car and so white has to go sit with scully <laughs> it's not probably gonna be happy about that no and then Mulder's gonna take white's car like Mulder, y'all been drinking like you need to not be driving at all honestly been and drinking I'm, vodka and, straight from the bottle and you don't normally drink so it's gonna hit you very yeah hard. basically and the thing is too like not only does he pour heavy like he's got like two teaspoons like because like a, it's like a 375 milliliter bottle so it's a smaller right. bottle but still you know but like half the bottle is already gone so we're assuming he's already drank half of it and so like yeah, you need to not be driving drunk. And also, maybe you need to not be going to a crime scene with, like, alcohol on your breath and your clothes all disheveled because that's not a good look. But I don't know. But, yeah. And also, you're going to take her car and make her go right with Scully. I know. There's so many funny. levels to this that is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I know. The situation is not good. Yeah. The little your feet thing was hilarious. So I love that. <laughs> I was good. <laughs> i mean them fighting it's awkward but like also it's funny sometimes <laughs> and that comes back to i like how they revisit that later as well so so then it's 10 01 p.m and tries not 10 13 p.m honestly and a car pulls up to a diner and scott simmons is sitting at a table there's a song playing here too that i know but i could not think of what it is so i wasn't able to look it up like i was with all over you Anyway, he's at a table and he's got a burger and fries that are not being eaten in front of him. And Terry and Margie walk up in their new sexy witchy clothes and they sit at his table and they're like, loss of appetite. That's not a good sign. And he's been crying and he's like, I'd like to be alone, please. Terry grabs one of his fries and eats it. And she's like, well, you got your wish because he said he wanted to be alone. So, ooh, man, too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Like literally too soon. It happened yeah. like just like maybe hours Minutes ago. ago. I know. Yeah, it was like well, it was eight twenty-five when they when we saw the party, I think, and then now it's ten oh one. So maybe yeah, an hour. Yeah, maybe an hour. Yeah. So one news gets around fast around town, and also he got his food already too. Maybe someone told him while he was already eating there. I don't. Yeah, know. Anyway, I don't know. So he's like, "What happened to you? you used to be," and then he trails off because again, they're all like super witchy and like whatever. So maybe he's gonna say it used to be nerds. I don't know. Anyway, or maybe it used to be nice or whatever. Who knows? Yeah, something. Anyway, they're different now. And Terry says, they're not dressed like this for a funeral. They're here to make him feel better tonight. And so he's disgusted. And he shakes his head and he leaves. And Terry's like, hate him. And then she's waiting for Margie to echo it and be like, the wouldn't want to date him thing that she usually does. But she doesn't. And so Terry's like, hate him. And then Margie just kind of stares at her and then gets up and follows Scott out the door. Ooh, trouble in that paradise. I don't know. Yeah. Something going on. Relationships are suffering here. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, we're back at Zarinka's. And Zarinka is running Mulder's credit card. And he starts to ask a question, but she like holds up a finger. She's like, nope. And she's like, I'm waiting for authorization. So she's not saying a word until she gets paid. Very smart. And Mulder's like, I'm a federal agent. And she's like, last I heard, the federal government couldn't pay its bills. And the credit card finally authorizes. So she hands back the card. And he says that she said she knew why people have been acting strangely, that it was planetary. So Zarinka tells him that once every 84 years, Mars, Venus, and Uranus come into conjunction. Only this year, Uranus is in the house of Aquarius. Disaster awaits, especially here. And Mulder's like, 
why here? And she says, this town is in a geological vortex, a cosmic G-spot, all culminating on January 12th when the planets come into perfect alignment. A syzygy. Yeah, syzygy, which would be, she looks at her watch, today. And Mulder asks why it's affecting everyone, and she says it'll affect some people more than others. Relationships are going to suck. Significant dates can exaggerate the effects. And Mulder's like, well, what if today was my birthday? And Zarinka says, well, then I'd say happy birthday. Unless you were born in 1979, in which case I'd call the police. And someone like that would have a Jupiter-Uranus opposition, forming what's called a grand square that would focus all the energy of the cosmos on you. And so Mulder kind of nods at that, like, okay. And this is where we get the math of, like, they're only 17. Because this is right. 96, 79, 17. So, yeah. Yeah, jumped ahead a little bit previously, but it was a good place to put it. So then we see Scott, he gets home. Apparently everyone in this town has a, at least every teenager has a pickup truck. And I guess maybe it's part of like the, you get on the football team, they give you a pickup truck. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so he gets home and he parks in the garage and then Margie pops up in the back. And the way she pops up is like, she's sitting up in the coffin, like, good evening. And she tells him that he doesn't have to be alone tonight. And he's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, the insensitivity to your pain was too much to bear. And then Terry comes stomping in and is like, so what? You blew me off so you can snag some shoulder time with Rude Boy. And then the garage door closes behind her. Margie stares at her. And like behind Terry, there's a spring on the door that's just shaking. And she tells Terry to back off. And Terry is like, happy birthday, bitch. And the spring flies off the door and like goes through the truck's back window. Whoosh! putting a hole through it scott ducks he's like oh yeah i gotta get out of here and marty's like right back at you and stares at the other spring on the other side of our door and it shakes and rattles and flies at terry but they both duck and avoid it but then it makes a weird sound when it like goes past them and they both stand up and terry sees that margie has blood on her hand is like you're bleeding and marty's like so are you and terry has blood on her forehead and they look behind them and the spring has basically gone through Scott's chest and, like, into the wall. And then he, like, falls over dead. And the spring is stuck in the wall and is all bloody. And they are like, you killed him. Like, no, you killed him. And then Terry storms out. And technically, Margie killed him because yeah. spring. But. Although I have to say, I confused them. Like, I got them super mixed up in the scene. <laughs> like, in the scene before. And I don't know why I confused them. But just, like, I got super mixed up. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, that's Terry. And I like, go yeah, back. Terry like, is Lori Foreman. That's how yes. I yeah. It was just dark. They both have frizzy hair. There was this really funny thing on Twitter the other day. And it was, like, that meme of that Black woman who's, like, bent over squinting. <laughs> like watching the x-files trying to see what happens because <laughs> like it's this so scene dark. Is super dark and then yeah. someone's like yeah the truth might be out there but chris carter doesn't want you to see it and i just <laughs> thought that was really funny so i don't remember who said that on twitter but whoever that was hilarious yeah no, I, I think i retweeted it <laughs> brightness all the way up on my laptop and was still surprised at how dark the scene was yeah kind of yeah crazy i've been doing that a lot while watching the x-files just like brightness all the way up and i'm still like what is happening here yeah no, it's really dark. So Scully and White drive down the road in the rain. And the road seems a little rough. And it sounds like something may have hit the roof or the side of the car a couple times. And then a bird flies into the windshield and gets smashed against it. So they stop the car and they get out. And we see that the road is littered with dead birds. And then down the road, we see lights appear. And we realize it's torches from an approaching crowd. 
Actually, I mean, they're British torches, they're flashlights, but I don't right, think yes. they're going to have like full on like Scooby Doo. No, they've just no. got flashlights, but it kind of looks yeah. like they might have torches at first. Yeah. But if you're listening in Great Britain, and I know a couple of you are, that yes, they have torches. They yeah. Have <laughs> so then back in Serenka's place of business, she hands Mulder a credit card receipt and she says she'll let him fill out the amount. Maybe she's hoping for a tip or how valuable her information is. I don't know. I know his card was approved for like $350. So hopefully he's generous about that. I was going to say she should know already what he's going to write, but she's not a psychic. She's an astrologer. So Right, exactly. And then Mulder's phone rings and it's Margie. And she tells him that she knows who the killer is. And he asks where she is. So then we see that crowd with torches and they march up to where Scully and White are. And Bob, of course, is there leading the crowd, right? He's got a shotgun. And Scully's like, I don't know what you think you're doing, but you need to put the gun down or I'm going to arrest you. And Bob is like, we're taking the situation to our own hands. And she's like, you can't just march down the street with a gun. It's against the law. And he's like, not if I'm hunting and I'm hunting Satanists. Oh, Bob, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bob just cracks me up. I don't know. He's just over the top. And Scully insists that there are no Satanists. And Bob's like, then who killed all those kids then, huh? And who killed all these birds? And then Terry comes running up behind White and Scully, and she's crying for help. And she's like, I know who the killer is. <gasps> and then it's commercial. Huh. Yeah. So Margie knows who the killer is. And Terry knows who the killer is. Hmm. Hmm. Do we know who the killer is? I mean, I think so. Okay. This isn't going to be like one of those ones where we pull the mask off at the end and we're all like surprised that it's not who we thought it was. I mean, maybe. Wait till the okay, end. We'll, we'll see. Well, I guess we shouldn't <laughs> try to jump ahead. All right. So Mulder finds Margie in Scott's garage and she's like crouched down behind his truck and Mulder sees Scott's body lying on the floor. And Mulder bends down and he tries to help Margie up. And Margie says, she killed him. Terry killed all of them. And Mulder asks if she killed all the high school boys. And Margie says, yeah, and Brenda Sommerfeld. So, you know, and Mulder asks how she did it. Meanwhile, Terry with Scully and White answers the same question because she's saying the same thing. And she says, I think she was possessed or something. She killed Scott with a garage door spring. I think she, and then Margie continues with Mulder. I think she's evil. She tricked Boom into going up on that cliff and then pushed him off. She laughed about it, just like she did with Eric Fowler the other night in the gym. And then Terry continues with Scully and White. And she's like, when all the lights went out, she knew he was trapped under the bleachers and she wouldn't make it stop. And Scully's like, well, why didn't you stop her or tell somebody? And Terry's like, because I was afraid of her and she was my best friend. And then Scully's phone rings, and so she steps away and gets in the car. Yep, and you know who it is. It's Mulder, obviously. Oh my and gosh, I'm so surprised. Yeah, and he's like, I'm at a new crime scene, and I have a solid lead on those deaths. And she's like, I'm one step ahead of you. I have a suspect I want to bring in. Margie. Mulder looks at Margie and is like, okay, hold on a minute. And like, steps away. <laughs> and then Scully's continues. She's like, Terry just gave me a statement. And Mulder's like, well, I'm one step ahead of you, because Margie just told me that Terry is the killer 
and they kind of go back and forth a couple times. It's like, well, I got a one up on you, this, and I got a one up on, and so they kind of yeah competing mm-hmm. basically, and then eventually Mulder's just like, I don't think this has anything to do with a cult at all. And we need to get both of them in and get a formal statement and hopefully clear this up. And Scully's like, sure, fine, whatever. So Scully's with the sure, fine, whatever's, man. She's mm. all over that. Yep. She's cranky pants today. Yep. So Mulder brings Margie into the sheriff's office and he sits her down at a desk in the squad room and he tells her to wait right there. And then he kind of looks back at her and he's like, Detective White's cat. Margie nods. Aww. We'll more about that later. Mulder starts to walk away, like to go get like someone. But then as he does, this TV turns on in the room and it's playing the same movie, the Keystone Cop things that was on all the channels at the motel. And then the desks start like vibrating and they start like moving across the room. I'm like, you ever played that football game where like you have a big thing, you turn it on and they like all vibrate and they move and it's like a the desks are all like doing like that. They're all like, moving all over the room. And then Terry comes in and she sees Margie and is like, hey, girlfriend. And they just kind of like stare at each other. And if this was a cartoon, they'd be like a little lightning, like across their eyes. And then everyone's guns just start like shooting off in their holsters. Like there's like, like Scully's like goes through her back because it's a shoulder holster and Mulder's does. And like all the sheriffs, like they're going off on their hips. And then like the shotguns on the wall are all like shooting and everyone's like <laughs> ducking for cover and just like, and no one is like pointing their gun up or like pointing their gun down. They're all just like holding their guns. Like they're still like looking for somebody. So like the bullets just going everywhere. No one is apparently shot. So that's good. But like, come on, you guys are trained professionals. Like you see your guns going off, like put them in a safe direction. Anyway, during all this chaos, Mulder grabs Margie. And he like drags around the hall. He's got her like in a headlock basically. He's like dragging her down the hallway. Uh-huh. And then Scully and White are ducked behind a desk. And then after Mulder gets Margie out, the shooting stops. It also is funny, like all the shotguns in the wall racks have been supposedly like firing. We get all the explosions and like the ceiling keeps exploding and there's debris. But then like they're in recessed cases in the wall and like the top of the cases are like totally fine. And like the shotguns are going like they would have shot the top of the cases. (laughs) Right. So that was kind of funny. But anyway. Yeah. So then Mulder throws Margie to the interrogation room and he locks the door. But then Terry comes like like a Terminator kind of like walking down the hall and Scully's behind her. And Terry tells Mulder to get out of the way. So Mulder unlocks the door and then they both like shove her into the room and then they close the door and lock it. And then we see Margie <laughs> and Terry again, like just like face to face. And again, we would have had cool lighting if this was a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. So outside in the hall, the door is shaking and then some photos on the wall shake and the lights shake and Scully asks what's going on. And Mulder says something cosmic. And then the clock strikes midnight and the shaking stops. But then the crowd led by Bob appears in the hall and both Mulder and Skull yell at him, put that gun down in unison. Which I thought was funny. And Bob asks where the guilty girl is. And Mulder gestures to the interrogation room and he's like, they're both in there. And Bob says they'd like to see for themselves and tries to get past Mulder and he like pushes the crowd back. And Bob cocks his gun and he's like, I'm tired of waiting for law enforcement. And White grabs Bob's weapon and tells Mulder and Scully to open the door. And then she moves past them and she opens it herself. And we see Margie and Terry are huddled together and they're crying. And the girls just keep crying while the townspeople, White, Mulder and Scully, just look at them. And they're like shining flashlights in their faces because like all the lights are out in the building as well. It's like just emergency Mm -hmm. lighting is on. Right. And the, the, the whole crying thing where they're like huddled in the corner like 
it is a very long bit of that happening like that is they needed to edit that somehow yeah well because Mulder's voiceover comes over it and it just lasts forever yeah yeah so as we said Mulder's voiceover comes in as we're watching like flashlights and Terry and Margie's face as they're huddled in the corner and he's like we are but visitors on this rock hurtling through time and space tethered to a burning sphere by an invisible force in an unfathomable universe this most of us take for granted by refusing to believe these forces have any effect upon us or that two girls born the same day at the same time and in the same place might not find themselves the unfortunate focus of similar unseen forces converging like planets themselves into burning pinpoints of cosmic energy whose absolute gravity would threaten to swallow and consume everything in its path or maybe the answer lies even further from our grasp and then bob says to everyone i think it was satan and Mulder and Scully exchange a look. And then Bob's like, yes, sir. Satan it was. And the crowd around him is like, oh. Yeah. So they're, they're not going to blame the girls. They're going to blame Satan. Yeah. And then outside the motel, Mulder puts his bags in the car and he gets in the passenger seat. And Scully's struggling to adjust the driver's seat. And then she peels out of the parking lot and she drives super fast down the road. And Mulder's like, at the intersection, you're going to want to take a left. And she doesn't even slow down. She just blows through the stop sign. And Mulder tells her that she ran a stop sign. And she's like, shut up, Mulder. And he's like, sure, whatever. And we see that the moon is full. So I get apparently the planetary alignment stuff. Is, I mean, the, the crest of it is over, but it's still still there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the moon was never mentioned in any of the stuff that they talked about before. So I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think the moon is just an easy visual. Right? Well, no, I mean, I just think the planetary alignment is still going on because they're still oh. cranky because obviously it started way but before. It was the midnight. And we know that planetary alignments always just go from midnight to midnight. So, yeah. Well, but right? the, the murder started weeks before, though. So clearly, I know. Started. So we got some problems. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually one of my. I'm issues, also being but... snarky. Like a planetary alignment aren't from midnight to midnight. They happen yeah. different times of day. Anyway, planetary alignments don't really agree with Scully. Clearly, she's one of those people that it affects harder than others. I guess so. She didn't even turn. She just kept going straight and went through that stop sign. So I don't yeah, know no, she just—I don't know. They're gonna take the long way around. I guess. Yeah. Funnily enough, we talk a lot of time about how coincidences happen on this while we're recording stuff and everything. This episode will actually be posted on December third, twenty twenty-one, which is a new moon. And though, yes, as we just mentioned, this episode like repeatedly shows the full moon like three times. But both full moons and new moons are technically syzygies. So, huh, nice. Yeah. So, we're going to be posting on the new moon. This episode is apparently happening during the full moon, even though apparently that has nothing to do with any of the planetary alignment stuff. So, but yeah, a syzygy is a alignment of supposed, to, I guess it's supposed to be three bodies. There's also another definition that just has like it involves two corresponding things. But the more general definition is that it has to involve three bodies that form a line. So mm-hmm. apparently a full moon and a new moon are in alignment every time they happen, which I can kind of make sense. But also, I'm not an astronomer. And so like when it's a full moon, it's the sun and then the earth is between and then the moon. Which to me would be like, well, if they're in a perfect line, wouldn't the earth be blocked the sun light hitting the moon? And then obviously in a new moon, it's the sun and then the moon and then the earth. And so we only see the dark side of the moon. Right. And then I guess a super one would be an actual like eclipse, right? Because they would be in true perfect alignment because we have that weird thing with 
based on the distances, our moon is the same size as our sun, which is kind of freaky. Hasn't always been that way, though, because the moon actually used to be way closer than it is now. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, the whole, the full moon being a syzygy, kind of, I, I get, they're, they're obviously not perfectly aligned, right? Because right. if they were, yeah. the Earth would be blocking it. So I guess it's just off enough for the light to still hit the moon, but still be fully illuminated. So, yeah. Sometimes astronomy messes with my brain. I get really confused. Yeah, I'm not like The whole tilt and like what makes the seasons and like I just, my brain breaks on that stuff. So yeah. Like why is it winter here, but it's like summer in Australia? And like, why would just the tilt do that? It's like, it hurts my head. So. Yeah. Well, because you're closer to the sun. <laughs> I know. But, then, but, but we also have an elliptical orbit. And I would think that would be more of an effect than the tilt. And so, but that, that's not couldn't true. couldn't tell you. Not an astronomer. Yeah, so, I mean, astronomy breaks my brain. I don't understand some stuff. It seems like stuff that seems like it should work doesn't. And then stuff that does, doesn't seem like it should. Yeah. And I'm not a scientist. So I'll just go like, yeah, whatever, dude. I mean, it's probably all because like the earth is flat and that's why then that stuff makes sense <laughs> so so this episode totally i told nick after i watched it like it kind of feels like when you go on a road trip with friends but those friends are a couple and before you got in the car they had some like nasty fight and the whole time you're on the trip they're like trying to act normal but they keep like sniping at each other and it's super awkward the whole time and you're just in the back seat along for the ride going okay oh super awkward i don't know i mean it wasn't that terrible but it's just there are some moments where you're like yikes guys calm down drink some juice take a breath so we now okay. know that tori thinks of Mulder and scully as friends and <laughs> hangs out with them so Mulder was trying to drink some juice he was he was just, he, was, he just was adding some stuff to it yeah Apparently, when this episode aired, fans were really critical of Mulder and Scully's hostile behavior toward each other. And so I was looking in Brian Lowry's book on season three, Trust No One. And he's like, well, perhaps they didn't realize that their attitudes came from astrological forces. And I'm just like, I think it's hilarious that his explanation for this is that like people just didn't understand it. Which I, I mean, the case. I'm not a fan of Brian Lowry <laughs> and I'm I don't have this book and there's a reason why I don't have the second book that you have because I was not impressed with the first book that he has. I just but, thought it was so but funny. But he's not wrong. I mean, thinking like maybe people still understand something because in, I mean, look at me in astronomy, like, you know. But yeah, most- but I mean, it's explained. I mean, I mean, obviously sometimes and I'm in lots of fandom stuff like I'm always reading. So sometimes people really just don't understand what's going on in an episode. That's fair. It does happen. But like, I just thought that was a hilarious, like people just didn't get it. And that's why they were mad. I'm like, no, I think they just didn't like it because it's awkward. It's awkward to have these two characters that have this great dynamic and are like generally playing off each other really well to be like actively sniping at each other. It's a little awkward. Like, some people may not well, enjoy yeah, that. But I mean, like you've repeatedly said, you know, there's a reason for that. Right. You and do. So but I mean, not realizing that means, yeah, you actually don't understand because there's a reason for it. So I mean, but I think people not, do realize kind of there's wrong. a reason for it. They just don't like it, which is fine. Well, but that's, but that's a not a thing. reason to be complain about something because you don't. I mean, yes. I mean, that that is all of fandom, right? You don't like an episode. You complain about it. That's what we're doing on this podcast. I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea about. But anyway, I just thought that was about things hilarious and then i don't really believe in astrology but also mercury was recently in retrograde and everything was freaking miserable and awful so maybe i do i don't know i'm a gemini i waffle hmm. is that a gemini thing to waffle well to go back and forth to see both sides because waffles have two sides and gemini Ooh. Are twins Ooh, maybe oh man now i really want waffles I'm, really I'm glad i could help so i mean 
as you said, you've said it many times, you know, it's not real confirmation I, bias. It's cherry. I know. Yes. I, mean, I know. You know it is. Still, what it is, but so, still, yeah. I mean, I want to believe in astrology, just like Mulder wants to believe in aliens. I, I want it to be true. Just don't know that it is. Okay. Yeah. It's not. To tell you, I mean, I may not understand astronomy a lot, but I kind of know that astrology is bullshit. So, well, you're a cancer, you would be suspicious of it. I am, I'm a cancer (laughs) on society, anyway. (laughs) I meant astrologically speaking. (laughs) So, it's conspiracy theory time. I tease this a little bit. So, I had a thought going in, and then I did some research as well. And I basically realized that yes, I'm a conspiracy theory. It's not really a conspiracy theory, I just kind of like. Was Chris Carter like court in the Green Eye Monster and was trying to write a Darren Morgan script and trying to get the humor and the snarky and all that kind of stuff? And I think that's probably what happened. I mean, everyone kind of agrees that's what happened. Yeah, I can and see that. So I do have to say, however, I think it was a pretty bold choice to have Scully be a total, hmm, to like everybody in this entire episode when they've obviously previously had to take like steps to work against that perception that some of the fans had. And this is Chris Carter who wrote this. So he lo- we know he loves Scully and would also be aware of the issue. And so to decide to do that on purpose seems like a bold choice. So, yeah, I actually have a theory on that. Before I get to that theory, I just want to say, like, I think I wonder if at the time and I have not looked to see where this episode stands among like current fans. So I don't know how people feel about it generally now. And I'm curious to find out. I will look that up. But I do wonder if like part of the reason people were critical of it is because people were always ragging on Scully and talking about how much, you know, like she got a lot of hate because, you know, she was a woman and just the Internet was stupid. And so I wonder if maybe that was also part of why people were not happy with this episode, because it does paint her in a very weird light, even though it's, you know, due to these forces in town. I mean, everyone's affected, but everyone's affected differently. You don't have to have her be affected in this way. (laughs) So anyway my theory on that so like at the time and this actually came up in a couple of the books i was reading that mentioned this episode as well there was a lot of stuff from chris carter about how Mulder and scully were never going to be a couple and he was very adamant about that and i actually remember that being a really big thing back around 96 because people were always talking about it like will they won't they are scully and Mulder going to get together and chris carter was very like no they're never going to get together they are work friends that's where it's going to end there they'll be friends for life but they're they're not going to go there and so i stick to that well no and like i mean i think maybe like the characters if you write sometimes they just do things you don't want them to do and things relationships grow and build over seasons and things happen but anyway i think maybe part of why chris carter makes her into such a shrew for lack of a better word in this episode and like kind of has her really rough on Mulder is maybe subconsciously. I'm not saying he was consciously trying to be like, oh man, Scully and Mulder can never be together. But I wonder if maybe like subconsciously he was kind of trying to like show that maybe on some level they don't really work or something. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that this episode is where he talks about that a lot. Like he mentions how they're not going to be together. And so I don't know. I remember that being a big fandom push at the time that Mulder and Scully get together. And obviously a lot of people wanted that to happen. And he was very against it. And I'm on, like, I kind of come down. Like, I remember as a kid, I didn't really care because I wasn't watching the show for Mulder and Scully to get together. I was watching the show for aliens and supernatural stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a person who loves seeing, like, people have strong friendships on TV, like, especially 
you know, between men and women that are platonic, like, I think that can be really powerful and awesome. I do like Mulder and Scully together. I think they're a great couple and I think they have a great dynamic. So I kind of see it both ways. I'm kind of like on either end. I'm like, it could go either way for me and I'd be fine with it probably. But I do think it's interesting that this episode is where like Chris Carter does keep bringing that up. And so I wonder if maybe there was some kind of effort, even just subconsciously to make it very clear that that wasn't going to happen. Ironically, I feel like it just makes Scully seem super jealous and that makes <laughs> makes it more like they're going to get together eventually. So I don't know. Anyway, that was just kind of a theory I had in the back of my head. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I have like zero interest in whether Mulder and Scully get together. Like if they do, fine. If they don't, fine. I don't really care to me. It right. has nothing to do with the show or at least it shouldn't. Obviously it does because basically if you, we've talked about this many times, but there is a portion of the fandom that basically if they talk about the X-Files, all they talk about is Mulder and Scully's relationship, which blows the crap out of me. So, but I don't want to delve into that business and do all that. But what I thought was interesting, you had talked about like you weren't sure how the fandom thinks about it now. And so I have been taking a break. I mentioned it before. I have not been looking at the books because it was just kind of like, there was, we got into a point where there was a lot of contradiction in the books and it was bugging the crap out of me. And it was like, this person would say this and this person would say that. And they both supposedly have like official information. Like it doesn't match up. And I was just like, fine, just screw all of you. I'm just going to watch the episode and maybe do a little bit of research that needs to be done. That's just like fact information of like who was in this episode, what time, that kind of stuff. But as I was watching this, I realized what was going on based on my like, you know, is Chris Carter trying to write a Darren Morgan script kind of thing. So I had to be like, okay, like, is that really what's going on? So I had to do a little bit of research. The wanting to believe by Robert Sherman and then the monster of the week by Zach Handlin and Emily Todd Vanderwerf both of which I've kind of talked about before how are kind of like they are definitely fans of the show everything is kind of like rose-tinted glasses and like pretty much nothing can go wrong in the X-Files even when things are horribly wrong it's kind of like hand wavy like but that's not really bad because sort of thing they were both super critical about this episode Huh. And the criticalness about it was mainly because it's Chris Carter trying to do Darren Morgan. And mm. maybe that would work. The episode wasn't that bad. But in comparison to the last episode, which was a Darren Morgan episode, it just didn't, it couldn't compete. It missed all the marks. Huh. And you could definitely see that, like, it was like imitation. And like, yes, he gets better at it. And a lot of the writers also do some imitation stuff on each other, not just, you know, Darren Morgan. Oh, yeah. And they they all get better as they go along. But like, that was the thing of like, yeah, this episode isn't great. Like, it could not exist. And because it definitely does not compete with War of the Copper of Ages. And interesting. I am like, again, confirmation bias. I'm like, okay, that matches because we know that I am like the contrarian of everything X Files. And I'm like, I totally disagree with you on every single point because I think this is a better episode than War of the Copper Phages. And I think Chris Carter did a better job of writing a Darren Morgan episode than Darren Morgan did, at least in the last one. And yeah, I didn't Humbug. like War of the Copper Phages and I love Humbug. So I'm not going to think you on that one. Why but I will... that is, is because of my preference for like this one does a lot of things that Darren Morgan does, but it's not just jam packed with freaking jokes everywhere. Like there are jokes in it, but they're not just like 
machine gun at you. Right. And so I think they hit better because you're not just worn down. I'm like, oh, here comes another, here comes another, here comes another. <laughs> and apparently some people totally dig that and I don't. And so I'm like, right. this is way better. I'm like, I'm like, yay, Chris Carter. Woo. I talk shit about you all the time, but you did a good job on this one. I love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So. Yeah. No, I like this episode a lot. I just... And I definitely did not like War of the Coprophages. Like, I didn't think it was, I mean, I think it's Darren Morgan's worst, to be honest. And I don't think it's that good. So, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. And I think it's fine. I mean, obviously, you've got that tone in the X-Files where you can kind of do silly stuff now that they've opened that door. And I'm glad to see that it's not just Darren Morgan taking advantage of it. Like, obviously, other people are, too. And that's good. Yeah, but that was the big thing I read about. It was just like it just yeah. didn't compete because it was right after that. And and I didn't go back to look at what you were just talking about. I should have gone back and looked at War of the Copperphages and see, like, because both, like, it's just like, Darren Morgan, Darren Morgan, Darren Morgan. I mean, Darren um, Morgan's great. I love him. I I've loved fine. almost every episode he's done. But... He six episodes. Like, calm the fuck down, okay? <laughs> like there's 200 and something episodes he wrote six like just calm down yeah um, he, but he also just wrote really iconic ones and then also he like created the full i didn't thing. go back to look and see maybe they would say some like ranking of like what they thought about this in comparison to his other ones and so i don't know if like i mean based on what i read regarding this episode it sounds like people loved war of the Copperphages, and so i'm not sure where that ranks in the darren morgan listing. yeah so, well, and I don't like, know what like the they current... could still super love it, but then think maybe think like you think it's his worst one. Yeah, um, I do. Neither think of us actually one. really loved it at all. I didn't like but... it, and actually, the more I think about it, I might have given it. I don't know. I'm so bad with the rankings because I've been rethinking a lot of mine. I'm like, I need to lower the walk a lot, and I need to lower. I don't know. I might need to lower that one too. We'll see. Okay. Yeah, I just I think that Darren Morgan is really good. He's done some cool things for the X Files. I think this episode's pretty good. It's awkward at points. And so I get why people wouldn't like it because I did find it very awkward. Like, you're just like, oh my God, guys, why are you fighting? What happened? Like, especially at first, before you realize what's going on, you're like, what's going on? Like, obviously it's supposed to be weird, but like, <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, someone needs well, to Well, yeah, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't work if you knew why they were doing it. Well, obviously, yeah, I know. I'm not saying that it, yeah, I'm just saying that it's awkward and that, it's uncomfortable and i can see why some people would find that not pleasant and why i mean it's not my favorite episode i think it's got great moments i think zarinka is freaking genius like i love it i love business lady numerologist i think she's brilliant and i wish she was a recurring character she's my favorite but yeah it's it's weird it's a weird episode for sure well that leads us right conveniently into our ratings i guess so what you yeah. got for, uh... this one's weird because it's just a weird episode it's weird it's a weird one and i you know i like weird like detective white i can appreciate weird i think i have to dock at a point for killing a cat yeah i said we were going to come back to that and we didn't i am wondering if that doctor's bag that looks pretty new by the garbage can was foreshadowing oh, oh. because the mm. one they pull out you can barely see the monogram on it like it's all kind of like rusted away and that kind of stuff mm. and the bag is all dirty and then that bag is like really clean i mean it's been out in the rain so like maybe it washed the dirt off right but like the monogram is like super crisp and it's sitting by the garbage can and i wonder if that was like foreshadowing because then after that we get the scene where she comes in with the box and so no, I was really wanting the cat to show up and be safe and be like, yay. 
I know. Because we know. don't. That that does beg the question. Like, who killed Mister Tippy? Then I just assumed like it was like, oh, we buried the dog because the dog died. But then her reaction, she's all tearful, and it's like, okay, so if Mister Tippy was killed, who killed Mister Tippy? Did well, they maybe... kill her, and she was just faking it? Well, maybe or... Mr. Tippy died of natural causes. You can still be upset. That's what I thought, but then that doesn't jive with Detective White's cat now missing. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't know. I just, I hate that cats always get killed in media. It's like they don't kill dogs because they know people will riot. The show will kill a dog, though, warning. But <laughs> it's a spoiler, but yeah, there's they don't live by that, apparently. But, you know, a lot of shows know, like, if we kill a dog, people will freaking riot, but we can hurt cats. And I'm like, why? Why are cats fair game? I hate it. It makes me really uncomfortable and I don't like it. So I'm docking at a point for that. Okay, that's fair. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to, but that that is totally fair. Yeah, just because I can't sure. with cat death, that just makes me cranky. I get like Scully, and I get really pissy, and I'm not happy about it. Chris Carter, come see me after class. But despite the awkwardness with Mulder and Scully, I do think it's a really good. I think it's awkward. I also just I don't like when people are sniping at each other. It just mm, makes me uncomfortable. It's just like the yelling thing in DPO, where it's like doesn't mean that it's bad necessarily. It just it makes me sit there and kind of like. Mm, Hard to watch, but I'm not going to hold that against it because I do think it's a really good episode. So it would have been an eight, but because of the cat, I'm going to rank it a seven. Oh, okay. So even though I said it was weird, like an awkward road trip, I'm still, I still like road trips and this might've been an awkward one, but it also wasn't a bad one. Okay. I was thinking you were going to go lower because right before we started, I didn't want to interrupt you though. I was thinking like, Will our rankings be in Syzygy? <laughs> but I guess uh, they kind of are because I was going to give this one an eight when I said I was not going to dock a point for the cat thing. So cat thing aside, we technically both gave it an eight. And then you yep. were like, nope, cat. And I'm like, I hate that, but I'm not going to dock it. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Don't so, hurt my cat. That's fair. I docked a point for being totally blatant about the whole world of world things in last episode. So yeah, you dock a point for this. Yours is probably more <laughs> of a valid reason to dock a point, honestly. So, so yeah. Yeah. That's syzygy. So sort of in syzygy, I guess, sort of. Sort yeah. of. Maybe um, we another just one where I rank an episode higher than you. Yeah. That's weird. What's going on? I don't know. It's, it's a weird I mean, we, as we're recording we just missed a new moon by like two days yeah so i think mercury's back in normal normal grade whatever that's called it's not in retrograde anymore so i don't clearly. know what any of that actually even means like retrograde or like is it like because the speed of the planets are different or something i don't, I don't know. know i just know that i had a really messed up week when that happened and i was like oh it has oops. a super tight orbit and is mercury i think mercury is orbit is sort of like the moon's orbit where the same side is always facing the sun so like one oh side like, so when it's a retrograde it's the other side maybe i don't know i'm trying i might be thinking of something else but i think like one side is always like super just like molten and the other side is not but i could be making stuff up and maybe, maybe it rotates normally and actually this is a big fiery death planet i don't know so but anyway that was syzygy that was syzygy <laughs> ironically the guy who plays laurie foreman's father is going to be in the next episode really bob mm -hmm. yeah because he got the because he got the no, crazy curly red hair? red red 
Oh, no, Red that's Eric's Foreman. dad. Yeah. Oh, Lori's. I'm sorry. I'm, Lori, see, not I'm Laura. Not Laura. Yeah, no, yeah, see, Lori. I'm hooked on Donna. I'm, oh, man, I'm obsessed with Donna. <laughs> We've talked about fandom before, and like, and I talk about how like the people who like are like Mulder and Scully, and it irritates me and that kind of stuff. That that seventies show, I was so invested in Eric and Donna's relationship. See, you they, get it. It's when just they different. broke them up, I was so mad, so I could not sleep. I was so angry that they broke them up, and I eventually had to stop watching the show for a while because oh, I was God. so just oh, it just tore me apart that they separated this perfect union of Eric and Donna. Like they were meant to be together. What are you doing, writers? Apparently the show has gone on too long and you're trying to mix it up and maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should just end the show and let them be happy the way they're supposed to be. <laughs> but no, you had to break them up because you're dumb. So, no, I, yeah. So. See, see you get it on some level just because this do. couple doesn't hit. And the thing with Mulder and Scully is I, I get it. And I, I wouldn't say that I need them to be together, but I see it too. Like I definitely see that progression building. And I think it's funny when creators are like, well, that's never going to happen. <laughs> You're like, okay, sure. But like fandom says it is. So I'm going to go over to AO3 over here and read some people <laughs> who already think it's happening. Supernatural is literally the worst defender for that. So yeah, good yeah. times. Good times. If I'm, I'm going to say, we've talked about this on the side. If they don't call that Winchest, I am going to be disappointed. Oh, no, it's Wincest. Wincest. Oh, okay. Wincest is, is okay. Sam and Dean. Well, because they're there's... Winchester, so I was keeping the ch. But, <laughs> no, it's okay. Wincest is Sam and Dean, which was okay. the big ship at first. Okay. And then Destiel is Dean and Castiel. Okay. No, it's yeah, became if... the big ship. Later. Okay. Yeah. If they did not go with the Wincest, Winchesting, I was going to be like, why are you? No, going? no. It's 100% even, stop. Like, if, if you're not going to use that, then don't even uh, write it because that's ridiculous. You know, the funny so, thing is, Mulder and Scully don't have a ship name. They don't have a portmanteau thing. They don't that I know of. Everyone calls it MSR, which I think is Mulder Scully Romance. And if I'm wrong, I'm so Scalder. sorry. Scalder and Molly. Come on. There you go. Like, I do it all the time by accident. <laughs> I don't think anyone calls the ship that. I don't know. Ship names are weird. Anyway, it's okay. this weird thing. We tried, I think at one time we were joking around trying to do a Sculder and Moldy with their first names, and that was awful. No, so, it doesn't work. Yeah. Docs and Fauna. Yeah, Fox and Dana don't really go together yeah. at all. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was Syzygy. Syzygy. And I'm not going to try and do the next time thing because we do it in the credits and I keep wanting to do it so badly. I know. I'm do well, let's do just it in a couple seconds. Get to the so. credits. All right. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. That's right. We made this. And be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 14, Grotesque. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still out there.
So do you want to do the next part? Because it's kind of the same. No, not really. Okay. 